All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lovely Tuesday afternoon. How are you? Uh, welcome to the Jason Greger Show. I'm at the Sports Leader TSN 1260. As always, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. It's your digital home for online gaming excitement, including casino, live dealer, lottery, instance, and uh, sports betting. Sign up today at PlayAlberta.ca. And uh, we have a loaded show for you to uh, digest today. We are going to talk uh, lots of hockey, going to talk a little uh, NBA playoffs. Uh, we'll recap the Edmonton orders. They had uh, player exit interviews, well, uh, player interviews today that they will have. Um, the veteran players are going to meet with their uh, exit interviews with the coaches later on this week. Uh, Jay Woodcroft and Ken Holland will uh, speak tomorrow. Um, the order players have, you know, they had to get together last night as a group. Uh, they'll have another one uh, tonight, I think tomorrow, uh, from what the players tell me, and then uh, start to go their uh, separate ways for the uh, off season. It's one that uh, even today you could still tell the uh, the disappointment in the voice of the uh, the players. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaitel, uh, Stuart Skinner, Evander um, Kane, Matthias Ekholm. Uh, there are others, so you know, I had uh, had a chance to, to chat with a few players on my own uh, today, and it, the one reoccurring theme was this team believes they're close. Uh, I really liked what Leon Drysaddle had to say. I've just I've mentioned it all year long. What do we say at the start of the year? What was the order's biggest issue, Connor Halley, at the start of the season? Like twenty games into the year, what was the order's biggest issue? I mean, it feels like throughout the year there was a lot of issues that popped up. Uh, what, what did you have at for the 20th game mark? 
Well, to me, it was they gift goals. They yeah. they make life too easy on the opposition. They beat themselves. I thought that early and, January too. And Leon Drysaddle uh, basically said, "He goes, hey, we we are our own worst enemy at times, and how they'll make it easier on the opposition." And you just make the key mistakes at the wrong time. I, I thought it was very insightful. It's the first time I've heard the players say that, and that's part of the maturing process of a group. I, I firmly believe this series loss stings this team infinitely more than Colorado, even though they went to the third round last year and they didn't win a game in the third round. This one stings more. I believe this team felt they were better. Te- and I would argue, I think they were, uh, they should have been a, they should have been a better team. They, Vegas was a team they could have beat. They didn't beat them. Vegas played better. Flat out. Right? Vegas made less mistakes at key time. Like, look at the first four games. Edmonton sucks, then Vegas sucks. Edmonton's bad, Vegas is bad. It's even. You get to game five and six, both teams played well, but the difference was Edmonton in the second period of both games made too many mistakes. And that's what cost them. It cost them. Right, you, there's there's no other way to put it. It cost them. So, well, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, where it goes from here. But it's um, it, it's a tough learning experience for the Edmonton Orders, and you have two things that you can do from a learning experience. You can you can be stubborn, and you can say, ah, nah, nah, we're fine. Or you can say, okay, you know what? We've got to change some things because the one thing the Edmonton Orders need to improve on. Is there five? They have to reduce their five-on-five five goals against. It's, it's just that simple. It now, it's not that simple, but that's their main focus. It has to be. There's, there's nothing else uh, in their group. Now it got better, but you know, still not good enough. Right? The, they allowed twenty-seven goals against five-on-five five in twelve games. Just not good enough, right? So they'll they'll have to work on that. But like you look at Vegas, Vegas has allowed fifteen in their games. It's it's difficult to win a series if your five on five play is is just leaking that much. That's just how it goes. So I think Edmonton, um, and and the thing was. This year, that you know, when the, when their goals against, like they allowed sixteen goals against in six games to Vegas. And it's it's hard to win. It's hard to win. Guess how many Vegas allowed? Nine. Right there's the difference. Power play's great. Now, even their penalty kill can be inconsistent. Everybody's penalty kill can fluctuate from time to time. It happens. But five-on-five goals against, it has to improve. And to me, the biggest thing I took away from the press conference today was Leon Drysaddle's about, you know what, we make life a little too easy for ourselves or for the opposition at times, and they beat themselves. And they made more mistakes than Vegas did in the series, flat out. And you know what, It's to me, that that's a great thing to hear. Because once the players get it, that's what you focus on and say, guys, we need to be better. And the players who need to be better in that regard are going to be their uh, their best players because they're the ones who play the most, right? The, the bottom six guys didn't get crushed in uh, in goals against five-on-five five in this series, right? It's, 
So that to me, that's a good thing. I I firmly believe that the order's top guys can be better five on five moving forward. So we'll uh, we'll touch on that. We'll hear from uh, Ryan McLeod. Uh, interesting offseason coming up for uh, for Ryan McLeod. He he does have arbitration rights this year. He won't have to wait until the last day of uh, summer, really, first day of training camp. Remember, Ryan McLeod arrived in Edmonton and then he signed that seven hundred and ninety eight. Uh, um, thousand dollar uh contract for one year because they, they literally had no more cap space literally they got it down to the dollar so they could uh, fit ryan mcleod in and he had no arbitration rights that's just the reality of the nhl doesn't happen very often but you know for like evan bouchard i know there'll be lots of talk about evan bouchard's contract this year and evan bouchard had a great playoff he didn't have a great regular season right he he had a really great finish to the season and when you don't have arbitration rights, right or wrong, unless you're elite, you 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 might get squeezed a little bit. Just how it goes. Now, when I say squeezed a little bit, like Evan Bouchard, even if he signs a bridge deal, it's going to be minimum, I would think, probably starting with a three. So, hey, there's worse places to be in in your life. When you're 24 years of age and you're going to be making that, right? So there's there's no feeling sorry for the player at all. There's no reason to. He wouldn't feel sorry for himself. Why would you? Because even if he signs a bridge deal, if you're Evan Bouchard, you're like, hey, what? I'll sign a bridge deal. Because if I'm not confident in my abilities, I'll get my payday. Right now, I know people will say, well, Gregor, the order's got to sign him to a long-term deal right now so they can get a value contract. You're right. But why would Evan Bouchard do that? If he really believes in himself, why would he sign a value contract? Why would he sign, let's say, six years at five and a half? Why would he do it? Now, some guys do it, some guys don't. But I can understand why the player's like, I'm not going to do it. Because he believes that, guess what? A few more years, I'll become more experienced. Hey, I get to play in the power play in Edmonton. I'm putting up points. That's a no-brainer. All of a sudden, maybe in two years, he's an $8 million player. So it's easy to always criticize. and Well, why didn't they sign this guy? Why didn't they sign this guy? The player has to agree to it. I remember when Darnell Nurse signed his second bridge deal at 5.5, and people were like, ah, too expensive. Shouldn't pay him that much. And then when he signed his contract two years later for nine, well, they should have signed him the exact same people. Well, they should have signed him for seven. Well, no, you said 5.5 was too much at the time. So. Come on. It's uh, every negotiation is different. Um, sometimes uh, you'll get a good contract for the player and the team. Depends which side you're on. And uh, but but Evan Bouchard, because he doesn't have arbitration rights, um, you know, obviously the orders, uh, they'll look at it. There'll be a few options. They probably present it to his, his agent. Maybe he signs early in the year, potentially. But the truth is, when you don't have our rights, the later you wait to sign, if they all of a sudden sign more guys in free agency, there's just no money for you. So you might, hey, I want to get, let's say, in a bridge deal, 3.5. Well, now I wait, and all of a sudden the order's like, wow, you know what? We'll sign Evan Bouchard, sure. But now you might only get three because that's all we have in cap space. So that's that's the challenge. There's, there's always a negotiation. There's always a challenge about timing, and uh, we'll see. Hey, guys, how much cap space do the orders have from uh, Barbecue Guy? We don't know because we don't know what the salary cap is. There, there's been rumblings that it might go up 3 to $4 million, but there's some that says it'll only go up one. So that's 
that's going to be the uh, uh, the key for me. Is you know every team and player wants the cap to go up. It just gives every team a little bit more flexibility. If you're a pending UFA this summer, you want the cap to go up because there's a little bit more of of the pie for you. It's just how it goes. But we can't say for certain what the order's cap space will be. I will say this about the order's cap space. They do not want to be in LTIR. There's no reason to be in LTIR because Mike Smith, Oscar Klappbaum, both uh, off the books June 30th, right? So they there's their big LTI that's off. So they want to be able to accrue cap space during the season this year, without question. So I expect the orders, whatever the cap is, they're going to be coming under it a little bit. How much? I guess it will depend on some negotiations, but that'll be that'll be a factor for sure. Now they do have some money coming off with Lucic seven hundred fifty, Sekera one point five, so there's two point two five. But keep in mind that Stuart Skinner, a lot of that has already been allocated essentially to Stuart Skinner because uh, he gets a raise uh, starting next season. He'll go up to uh, two point six million from his uh, from his current contract. Right, he goes from seven hundred fifty k to uh, to two point six. So uh, do the math. That's uh, 1.85. So that's Sekera's uh, buyout plus about uh, 350k. So you know they get an extra 400k that they didn't have last year. If you want to look at it from the uh, from the buyouts. Now Evan Bouchard had bonus overages last year that were on the cap. He's going to have bonus overages next year. So that kind of evens out, actually. To be honest, if you uh, if you look at it, so you won't see uh, much of a difference. Um, uh, between you know the, the bonus overages, they they had bonus overages last year. They'll have them again um, this season due to uh, Evan Bouchard. There's no one else that's got uh, bonus, and and even next year, like maybe a guy like uh, Dylan Holloway could could be the guy because currently the only guys next year that would have any bonuses in their contract are Holloway and and, and Phil Broberg. That's it. So and then they got to go through the whole conversation about Phil Broberg. What you know. If it's me, I'm not trading Brett Kulak. There's no chance I'm trading. Why? Are you sure that Philip Broberg is going to be better than Brett Kulak has been the last two years in the playoffs? The Oilers, I think Philip Broberg is going to be a good NHL defenseman. But here's the thing. His development curve is not really on pace to the Oilers' championship aspirations. I think they're different. And that's going to be the challenge that the Edmonton Oilers have, is how do they... How do they massage that? What do they do? Now, Brober could, you know, he can't play the right side, but you got Vincent DeHarnay there. And Vincent DeHarnay, the way he played in games two through six in that Vegas series, and even really games one through three in the L.A. series, games four and five, he had a tough game four and, uh, you know, a rough game one on the one pass. Didn't like it. Didn't like the rest of his game. But look how he rebounded from it. Solid. Solid. And and there's a guy who, you look at his age, you know, he's got the man strength, all that stuff. Like, Broberg's got to get stronger. Darren, doesn't get stronger. What's he going to work on? He's going to work on his puck skills. I had a conversation with uh, uh, DeHarnay today, and that's the main focus for him is just continue to work on that. Uh, you know, obviously, hey, you're a big guy. that You always got to keep working on getting faster. His skating's pretty good, but he's going to work on his puck uh, movement. And you improve on that. There, I, I, I won't be surprised if Vincent DeHarnay is is eventually a top four defenseman in Edmonton. 
I really believe that. I think with his, it is such an advantage how much space he can take up. He moves well enough. He's aggressive. He's strong. He's physically smart. He's a really good penalty killer. Right? And, and he's a defensive defenseman. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be a defensive defenseman who cares more about shutting guys down. And that's what this organization needs. It's what they need because scoring goals isn't a problem. It's restricting goals that needs to happen. Hey, Gregor, what pick will we have for the upcoming draft? What's your opinion of the type of player the order should be picking in the first round? Greg, um, they don't have a first-round pick, my man. They traded that to Nashville for Matias Ekholm. So the orders will not be picking until the second round unless they make a trade at the draft. Type of player the orders are looking at? I think the orders, if, um, you know, it's the old best player available, yeah, whatever. But, and that's true. However, I think up front they 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 would look for a right shot winger. I think is the uh, the biggest void in the organization. If it comes down to it, and it's everything's even. I would slide over that. And on defense, what uh, I think they would look at uh, a big mobile defenseman with some offensive upside. That's what I'd be looking at. Take a, a quick break. Tom Gazzola will join us next on the Gregor Show. And I'm the Sports Leader TSN 1260 presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 225, I'm the Sports Leader TSN 1260. Jason Gregor, Connor Halley with you. Lovely uh, Tuesday afternoon. Let's get to the Chronicles brought to you by Action Electrical. As uh, they are a family-run business. And uh, not only do they have... Residential and commercial solar. If you're looking for residential, you can get up to $5,600 in grant money from the Government of Canada. Uh, also, a 10-year interest-free loan. Check it out. They'll help you out at actionelectrical.net. Uh, Tom Gazzola joins us. Uh, Tom, you were there for the uh, the player interviews. Uh, what stood out most for you? Yeah, it was. Uh, you could sense the frustration um, from the guys today that spoke and and the one comment that resonated or or I was like okay at least they they recognized this and it was Leon Draisaitl Greg's when he said and I'm paraphrasing but he basically said you know at times it feels like we're beating ourselves or when we're losing we're beating ourselves we can beat some of the best teams and the best teams in the NHL but when we lose it seems like we're doing it to ourselves and self-inflicted wounds and we talked about it a lot you know, early in the season, and then at times it popped up again uh, in the playoffs. So uh, just an admission of, of where this team uh, does have some deficiencies. I think it's that's a more appropriate word than weaknesses because it's a pretty good team overall. Like, it is one of the best teams in the league, certainly a cup contender. Uh, if there are people out there going, that's hogwash, they couldn't even get past the second round, listen – the Golden Knights are an excellent team. And uh, what was left were some damn good hockey teams. The Oilers are right there. And the Golden Knights took advantage of those opportunities when the Oilers shot themselves in the foot or did it to themselves. Um, but to understand, recognize, and then you know make sure it's in their uh, conscience next season, I think is a good thing. Um, because if you deny it and just think, ah, oh, we're way better than this and there's nothing wrong with our team, we have no flaws, uh, that would be uh, brutal. And, and that's not the right way to go about trying to win a championship. So that, to me, when Leon Dreisaitl just said, uh, you know, we beat ourselves at times, and I was like, yeah, you know what? That's, that's a good acceptance of uh, deficiency 
not a weakness, a deficiency, and one that uh, I think will be at the forefront of their minds, something that they work on next season. Well, 100%. And, you know, I, I think it's one, and I think it's great because it comes from the uh, the order's best players because if you look at the goals for against numbers this year at 5-on-5, five five, it, was, it was more, and, and I think it's a, a little bit of an anomaly maybe, but because if you look at previous years, 5-on-5, five five, the top guys were crushing it, and it was the bottom guys getting outscored. This year that wasn't the case. Yep. And... Listen, this this team has uh, ascended to that elite level, and they fully admitted it. They recognized it. Every one of those six players that came up there to speak today uh, said, we're in that win-now time frame, and McDavid flat out just said it. The time is now to win, and um, they're close. They're close, and there's going to be some tweaking in the offseason. And there's going to have to be some growth from within. And and Greg Stewart Skinner was really good too. I thought, uh, you know, gracious as always, thanked his players in front of him for for helping him have a, a great full rookie season. And and he's a guy that has the right mindset. So yeah, the the five on five um, in the playoffs certainly uh, they got crushed by the Golden Knights and and. You're going to have to learn from those mistakes and, and those errors or tendencies and, and try to make it as airtight as possible next year in the postseason. And the other thing, too, Greg, I don't know if you picked up on it. I'm sure you did it, just because, you know, it's, it's our nature as reporters. But the frustration, because I think it was McDavid went through the runaround. He's like, now we're going to go into the offseason. We're going to do our training. We're going to be mad about what happened. And we're going to go through 82 games, and then we're going to get back to the playoffs, and then we're going to be talking about uh, being back where we are right now, but hopefully still playing. And and so, I, you know, I, they really thought that this was a year where they could go and make noise, but there was a, a damn good Golden Knights team in their way and uh, a, a Golden Knights team that made less mistakes. And I think that was another astute observation by Kane and a few other different players that at the end of it, that just was the uh, the issue for our team is they made mm-hmm. too many mistakes. So now you, you look ahead. I, I wrote uh, an article today at OrdersNation.com that we're going to discuss on the show today, and it was looking at, uh, you know, changes. Like there's obvious guys that are coming back, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins. I, I think Fogel, and, uh, sorry, McLeod and Holloway are all locks to come back on forward. Uh, Skinner and, and Campbell. I would look at Nurse and Bouchard and Ekholm and DeHarnay, I think, are for sure. Now, I, for me, I would say Brett Kulak's for sure. But the organization is going to have to decide, you know, where is Philip Broberg fit in? And I think Philip Broberg, where he is in his development, is maybe a little behind where the orders are in their cup aspirations. And I wonder if potentially, you know, he's moved because of that. Um, I look at a guy like Kyler Yamamoto. Kyler Yamamoto is an NHL player. I don't doubt he's an NHL player. But he's not a $3.1 million player right now for the orders. And because of a you know the rare buyout due to his age of under 25, you could buy out Kyler Yamamoto. His cap hit is $3.1 million. If you bought him out at one-third, his, his cap hit would be $4, uh, $433,000. Right? Mm-hmm. So you would save... million, which you could then, so you would buy out Yamamoto. You could take his buyout, and you would have two bottom six guys, let's say, at $1.3 million. 
right? Like that, they're, they're actually would make financial sense. I don't love buyouts because the following year there's some dead cap space. Now it's only 533k the next year, but think about that. 533k. That's what you used to, to bring in Nick Bugstad at the deadline because uh, Arizona retained a small percentage, right? So 533, while it might not seem like a lot, it still matters. So I don't love buyouts, but this is one where I actually think it would make sense if, like, obviously they'll, they'll try to trade him first, but if they don't find a trade partner, I won't be shocked if a Yamamoto buyout is something that's discussed internally and then actually becomes fruition before yeah. the, uh, the buyout window ends. Interesting. I would be surprised if they did that, but it is an option. Uh, Why would um, you be surprised? Because I think that they value him as a player, but if if they really want to, if they're that hard done to create cap space, uh, then I suppose they could, if they get to that point, they could make that decision because um, he was injured all season long, basically. When he did have his opportunities, when he was healthy enough to play, he didn't take advantage. That is 100% valid. Uh, but I do think that they see a, a player in Yamamoto that they can still use. And I, Greg's like, if they really get to a point where they look at Yamamoto and say, we could buy him out and get this cap space that we want to add, you know, good bottom six players or keep good bottom six players that meshed in really well, then okay, I understand that. But um, I could see them, if they can't find a trade partner in the offseason, maybe they find something in the season or at the trade deadline where they want to improve the right side. Because even with Kyler Yamamoto, they're a, a good team that can still be a, a division winner, second in the division. But... Yeah, I I would be personally surprised if they got to that point, but if they have run out of every other option and and they've exhausted those other options, try to make a move and get him off the books, then that's an interesting one and an interesting route to go by, and it's an easier pill to swallow than the James Neal buyout uh, and certainly like the Andre Sekera buyout because those were bigger tickets and for longer term. See... The the orders were able to trade Yesapuliarvi at the deadline and basically gave him away for nothing, right? To to share mm-hmm. up uh, some salary. So at that point, it was about eight hundred k in actual money owed in cap space. So I get it. Um, and and there's the potential. Now maybe a team would do that with Yamamoto. Maybe, but what if they don't? Right? Like mm-hmm. that's why to me, the buyout isn't. Is, is something that will be discussed. I, I don't think it's that crazy when you think about it because here's, here's the thing about Yamamoto. I believe at times there are some people in the organization that overvalue what he actually does at the end of the day. Right? Like the, the hot streak in scoring 20 goals a long time ago. And like his size is not changing. It's just who he is. He's a smart player, works hard. Um, unfortunately, because of his size, he's injury prone. Just, and that's unfortunate. Yamamoto himself admitted, like he, he takes inadvertent shots to the head all the time. It's just how yep. it is because of how he plays. And if he doesn't play on the inside, he's even less effective. So he can't change his game. So I just, it, it's a financial one that actually makes sense to free up cap space for you, especially with the orders. They need to be starting the season under the salary cap. They want to accrue cap space this year because that mm-hmm. gives you way more flexibility. And I just, I, I wonder if it's something they, that they consider. I think they would look to try to move him first, and maybe a Yamamoto Broberg package gets you something, right? That that could happen. So, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see. Ideally, they'd like to trade him first. There's no doubt. 
Yep. But I'm just saying the uh, the buyout option, because of its one-third, actually makes a significant amount of savings. Yeah. And, and listen, Greg, like, if you're not exploring all avenues and all opportunities and, and what you can and can't do just to see what you have available to you, then you're not doing your job and not doing your due diligence. So it's understandable. Um, if I was the GM, I'd be looking at upgrading the, the right side, making it bigger, uh, making it stronger and tougher to play against. And I, listen, I like Kyler Yamamoto. I think he's a tremendous hockey player. Yes, he gets thrown around. And I, Greg's, I don't see him becoming like a, a Braden point where they're short guys that are stocky. Remember Marty St. Louis had tree trunks for thighs. I, I don't think that that's like hit in his literal DNA. He's kind of a uh, slighter. Listen, he puts in the time at the gym, but I don't think he's going to become a stocky guy over the course of a three-month offseason. No, no. He, his body type is his body type. Like, he can get yeah. stronger. Of course, you can always get stronger, but yep. um, you know, how much else can you do? So, right. um, where do you where do you come out on um, on the blue line? And Broberg, CC, Kulak. Like, what do you like? I wouldn't trade Kulak. I'm going to go on record as saying that I wouldn't right. move him. And so that makes it difficult. And where are you going to play Broberg? All of a sudden, it's interesting. Like, do you look at Cody CC and go, "What do you want to do with Cody CC? How do you value him? How does he fit in? Are you okay with him for the time being? Would you look for an in trade?" or in-season trade for Cody Ceci potentially, if you want to change the look of your defense, the same way that Ekholm for Barry uh, trade changed how the Oilers look. I mean, they have depth on the left side now to the point where we're like, would you consider a Broberg deal? Uh, now all of a sudden, Vinny DeHarnay has, has established himself. Is he a, a finished product? Nope. But uh, does Broberg want to stick around as a seventh defenseman again next year? Probably not. Like, there's there's probably a team out there that would look at him and, and ask Ken Holland and the Oilers and say, would you consider moving Philip Broberg? I'm sure, considering what they've got on the back end right now, that that might be something that the Oilers also look at. Um, now, what do the Oilers have in in the pipeline coming up when it comes to defensemen? I don't know because I, I don't know if Marcus Niemalainen has the he does certainly does not have the ceiling of a Philip Broberg. What happens with him? He's a little bit older as well. Do the Oilers go into the draft this year and and try to get young solid defensemen that could you know in in a few years time eventually make the team and restock the shelves if you will potentially. So a Broberg Yamamoto package might be something that's enticing to other teams. And I, I think he's kind of stuck in a logjam because I wouldn't sacrifice Brett Kulak right now. I think Brett Kulak was excellent in the postseason. Brett Kulak does everything you ask him to for a modest price. Uh, and I don't think he's a guy that goes in there and complains and makes a lot of noise if he's not getting 15 to 20 minutes a night. I think he's just a good, solid defenseman in the prime of his career. So I, I yeah, or, uh, Broberg, pardon me, might find himself in a situation where if he's not happy being number seven next year, um, maybe they look to move him. But, you know, he had some good moments this past season, but he also had some, you know, rookie moments as well. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a few years, and it took a while for Evan Bouchard to arrive. Um, maybe it's the same thing for Broberg, but I, I look at the Oilers' blue line and I go, it's kind of, kind of set 
It, it really is. You, re- you honestly believe it is? You think it's just they're going to come back with of the maybe same change the right side? Like yeah. If, well, if you want to well, change that's a pretty CC, big one. That's a pretty big if. <laughs> right? Like, and that's why I think it's set. I think well, Dejarne but, is is ahead of Broberg. I really do. I think they. Well, he's a right he D. Yeah. Table. And, yeah, and no, I, I like Vincent DeHarnay. But yeah. but to me it's not said because you got a big decision about Cody Cece. That's a top four right defenseman slot that's pretty important. How does that affect Broberg though? Is he gonna slide over to the right side and go into the No no, but that's why I'm saying it's not set. Yeah. I don't think I don't think they're I don't think they're blue line set at all because Cody Cece's a mat like he was playing top four minutes for your team. So now if you're bringing him back, then sure. But if you're not, yeah. th- then you gotta make a significant decision. Right. They don't have to move him. Right, they don't have to. They can keep him for a while if they want. He's got a couple of years left. That's up to them if they want to change the makeup of the back end. I think I think that's what it comes down to. Tommy, have yourself a great day. Will it be an interesting off season for the uh, Edmonton Orders and uh, the Dallas, Vegas, Florida, Carolina? Two teams that have never won the cup. Uh, two organizations who have won it once each. So uh, hey, some fan base is going to be very happy in a month's time. Greg's Vegas, Florida in the final. Vegas, Florida. That's who you're picking? Yeah. I'm going with Vegas, Florida. Okay. I actually am going Dallas, Florida. I have Dallas in game seven. Why? Because Peter DeBoer never loses game seven. He's seven. <laughs> so that's why I picked Dallas. <laughs> but I won't be surprised. Like Dallas, Vegas, it was like a coin flip for me. I yeah. think that's a tight series. Um. I think Florida has beaten two much better teams than Carolina has to get to this point. True, very true, Gregs. Carolina won't go easy, that's for sure. Like they're, they know how to play, so it'll be. Uh, I know lots of older fans like I don't care, and I understand it. I totally get why they don't care, but uh, I'm always intrigued by the playoffs. I like the games, and um, I don't really care what market's in that. That's irrelevant to me. I don't watch more because it's a certain team. I'm just watching because the same thing is on the line this year as it was last year. There's four teams left for a chance to go to the cup. I like. It. Talk to uh, Tom Gazzola tomorrow on the show. Let's get to uh, a quick break. Jason Greger, Connor Halley with you, and I'm the sports leader, TSN twelve sixty, and uh, we'll talk playoffs next on the Greger Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. We continue on. I'm the sports leader, TSN twelve sixty. Jason Greger, Connor Halley with you. I'm the sports leader, TSN twelve sixty. The Greger Show is always brought to you by PlayAlberta.ca. Uh, we continue on the uh, NBA. It's going on down to the final four as well as we get to the NBA report brought to you by Alltech Supply, the only Canadian-owned Valve Master distributor that exclusively supports your local supply store. Go to alltechsupply.com, strength through distribution. As uh, Nate Kreckman joins us from uh, Altitude Sports Radio in uh, Denver, and it is the Nuggets and the Lakers. Nate, um, you, of course, have a... Jokic and Murray up against uh, LeBron and and Davis. Uh, how do you see this matchup? And uh, having seen what the Lakers did to the Warriors, specifically inside, how does Denver counter that? Uh, they counter it with Nikola Jokic. The best offensive player on the entire planet is, is how they counter that. Um, look, uh, Nikola Jokic is, and, and I know you're talking defensively here, but Nikola yes. Jokic he's more than serviceable in there, okay? Like, I know, you know, we all we all wanted to dissect his game as much as we possibly could during the entire MVP debate, but um, he's actually a pretty good defender in terms of 
Uh, he can drop on the pick and rolls. He can hedge out when he needs to. He knows positioning. He knows what he has to be able to do. And he's got 30 pounds on Anthony Davis, who I don't think wants to sit inside the paint and try and knock around with Nikola Jokic. So um, I, I would say that Jokic is more than up to the task. In addition to that, Aaron Gordon – uh, has been an excellent interior defender. He's going to probably spend a lot of time on LeBron James, but he will certainly get his share of the Anthony Davis uh, assignment as well. So, you know, the Nuggets defensively, fifth in defensive rating in the entire playoffs, again, like everybody marvels at what they are offensively, uh, but this Nuggets team has guarded. That's why they're the favorite in this series. Oh, I expect them to be the uh, the favorite, no question. I just I don't think the Lakers can outshoot them, so I think the Lakers are going to have to outread them and play them inside the paint. Right? That that's kind of the way I see it. Uh, anyway, um, you know, I, Golden State had some runs, but they Golden State just they they couldn't rebound with them. Right? And uh, you know, Davis has been uh, very up and down. He'll have a great game, and then he'll kind of be meh. Uh, like I don't think he can defend Jokic at all. To, to be honest, like I think I think Denver has a massive advantage there, uh, no question. But LeBron James is still LeBron James. So who do you see having the matchup on James? I think that it's going to be a lot of Aaron Gordon. But the good news is, is that um, you know, a couple of things. Number one, if they want to switch. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Bruce Brown, yeah, they're giving up some size against LeBron James, but those guys have the lateral quickness to be able to step in front of him. Michael Porter Jr. is not the liability that he used to be on the defensive end of the court. The other thing about LeBron, too, is um, if they want to run screen action for LeBron James, the Nuggets defenders can just go under. You don't have to stay up on LeBron. I saw this number earlier today, Jason, 4 of 25 is LeBron James in the playoffs on pull-up threes, four of 25. If that's the shot that he wants, the Nuggets should absolutely oblige him and let him take that shot all that he wants to uh, because he's just not making them. He's not making long twos. He's definitely not making threes. He's at 26% for the entire playoffs. Um, So so let him shoot. Look, LeBron's 38 and he's on a bad foot. He's going to try and get downhill. He's going to try to get to the rim. You can't stop him from doing that all the time, but the more that you can force LeBron James into taking outside shots, that's a victory for the Nuggets. That's a great stat, man, um, for sure. What about Jamal Murray? How You know what? He was injured for a long time. I, and I don't care, even when guys come back, there's very few guys who come back and are ready right away, right? Like, there's still, they take some time. How is his game rounded into form now that he's had some more playing time? Yeah, it really it did take some time. He had an injury right before the All-Star break, uh, right as he was sort of starting to get going. He ended up, I think, missing roughly like three and a half weeks of court time. And since he returned, um, he's been very good. And one of the things that I think has happened in the playoffs is physically I haven't really seen many limitations out of him. I think one of the biggest steps forward for you know your fellow Canadian is that um, Jamal Murray – has done a better job as the playoffs has gone along, particularly in that Phoenix series, of of doing the things that the Nuggets need him to do to be successful, and not just as a scorer, but being a floor general, being a distributor, working that two-man game with Jokic and using that to find other shots. And then not just jacking up pull-up threes with defenders in his face, but backing down smaller defenders, as he constantly did, against Landry Shamit in the last round, which I think he'll be able to do against Dennis Schroeder and the and the Lakers guards in this series. His you know, his game is just 
is really rounded into a nice form. Now, I say all that, and tonight he could over-dribble and he could jack up a bunch of bad shots, and <laughs> we could be having the same frustrating conversation we have um, about Jamal Murray operating outside the team concept that we sometimes have here in Denver. I just I, I think it's getting through to him that he doesn't have to be the guy that puts up 50 in a playoff game, and that's a good place for him to be. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, it's, it's rare to put up 50, and he does need to be that guy. Nate Kreckman joins us from Altitude Sports Radio. Uh, you know, Jokic is he's such a, a unicorn in, in all the different things he, he does well. Is there any area where teams have been able to slow him down? And if so, what have they done when he has slowed down a bit? Uh, foul trouble. If you can get him into foul trouble, that's, that's pretty much the one thing you can do to hurt his game. Offensively, he's just, he's at another level. I mean, he averaged a 35 point triple double in the last round against the Phoenix Suns. Now, again, I think it's going to be tougher against Anthony Davis, but uh, he's making 47% of his threes in the playoffs, you know, like, which is just unheard of again for a center. He's averaging over 10 assists. He will distribute when he has to. He'll score in the paint with ruthless efficiency when he has to. He's a great offensive rebounder. Uh, he, he's almost impossible to stop. Foul trouble, that, that's my answer for it. And, and I do think that that's going to be a big part of L.A.'s game plan is get the ball to Anthony Davis and try and get Nikola on the bench uh, because, as has been well documented, the minutes where Jokic is not on the floor is where Denver is vulnerable. And, you know, Jokic, how many minutes do you expect him to play in this series? And obviously it depends if there's blowouts or not, of course, so I know that's difficult. But let's say the games are somewhat close. How many minutes are you expecting him to go? I think we're going to look up at the end of this series, and he'll average right around 38, 39, uh, I, I think is what you'll end up seeing. I think in, in general, you know, Malone likes to get him out with like a minute to go in the first or the third if he can try and wait until roughly the eight-minute mark of the second and the fourth to go back to him and hope that the team can survive, you know, that that ten minutes of him off the floor. Now, um, if, if it gets bumpy and sometimes it does with that second unit, he'll go back to him sooner than that if he has to. But I think that that's what you're probably looking at. And, again, the beauty of Nikola Jokic is he just – it doesn't look like he's getting tired uh, right now. The guy is just an absolute – peak physical shape um he runs the floor he runs it hard uh yeah he's he's gonna play a lot and i think he's gonna dominate in this series nate what's your prediction in uh, both the east and west conference finals uh in the east i'll take celtics and five in the west i want to say denver and five and be that big of a homer because i just think the lakers have so many deficiencies and so many bad matchups against the nuggets uh but i'll play it safe i like the nuggets in six to win this series in a Denver-Boston Finals. Denver-Boston Finals. All right, Nate, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your time. Enjoy the series. Oh, absolutely. And uh, hello to everybody up there in Canada. Sorry we didn't talk hockey for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all, Order fans are just they're, they're frustrated. They don't want to talk hockey right now. We get it. So I got good. you. Okay, good, good. <laughs> and it was a nice little break for him. Watch Nikola Jokic tonight and enjoy it. You betcha. Nate Kreckman joins us from Altitude Sports. Honestly, that that's a series, man. If you're like, I don't want to watch hockey, I, I understand it. You're frustrated. But uh, Denver Lakers, that's going to be a hell of a series. I, w- I agree with Nate. I, th- I think the Celtics are, are – now, Jimmy Butler, though, 
Jimmy Butler can show. I don't know if it's going to be five games. I'll pick the Celtics, but uh, it might stretch to six. I, um, Miami's just kind of that, you know, they're a gutty team, man. They they play hard. But the Celtics right now, Jason Tatum, are you kidding me? How good's he been in the postseason? <laughs> like, look at that guy's career, what he's done so far. He's only 25 years of age. Drops 50, got the most points ever in a game seven, which, of course, uh, Steph Curry had 50 earlier this year, and Tatum's like, nah, I'll go higher. He's got 50 points in an all-star game. He's already won an NBA. Man, it's pretty good. He's really good. So um, I'm going to go with the Celtics in that one as well. But I have Denver as the favorite to go all the way now. We'll see uh, what happens. We've got a lot of text flying in. It's a 10-12-60. Lots of good ones. People are fired up about it. I love it. Hey, Gregs, uh, what do you think about uh, Matt Dumba on a one-year uh, show-me contract from John? You know, Matt Dumba's a very interesting player for me because, you know, he's coming off. I don't think he's going to get close to the six mil he was making before. But this free agent crop isn't that deep. And every year, all it takes is one GM who's like, you know what? we got to sign this guy. And last year it was Gabranson. He got $4 million over four years. I don't think Matt Dumba's a guy who's only going to get a one-year deal. Uh, He's a right-shot defenseman who's physical and can skate. I don't think he's a top-pair guy, but I think there's a lot of teams that would view Matt Dumba as a second pair. And if not a second pair, then he'd be a really good third pair. Now, if he's a third pair, then he's probably only getting, like, you know, 3.5 million bucks at the most, I would think. But, like, maybe has has he fallen that far? I I'd be surprised. Like right shot D, man. There's just not many of them. So I, I don't know about him. I'm, you know, I think Eric Johnson's another name that uh, people have brought up in the text line. I'd be surprised if he leaves Colorado. I really would. I I, I think he's, you know, he's going to obviously take a pay cut from what he was making before. But I think he under he understands it. He's won a cup. He wants to win again. He's made a boatload of money. So he signed in in Denver. Like, look at what Bergeron and Krejci did. In Boston, right? Like when you're on a team that's won, you you want to you feel like your team has a chance, and and you want to be there again. And so when when I look at Eric Johnson, that's that's kind of what I see. I, I I think he and 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 Denver come up to a contract. Now he is a, he's he's 35, so he could get the bonus laden contract if he wants. Right, have a lower cap hit, but they've also got a little extra cash now, knowing that Lannis Gog's out for the whole season. Right, so that there's seven million bucks that just frees up for them. So, you know, Eric Johnson, you know, maybe they look and say, "Well, we don't, we don't want uh, to to go and have that count against the cap the following year." So we'll see what happens there. But I'd be surprised if he leaves. Hey guys, what about uh, Damon Severson? Well, I think Evanson would have interest in him for sure. But the only way you have interest, you've got to move CC first. So. That what would happen. So in a separate deal, you'd move CC, and CC's tradable for sure. He's not a terrible player because he's not a top pair defenseman. Doesn't mean he's not a good player, and he doesn't have a big cap at three point two five, right? So you get him for term. So there would be interest in him for sure. I look at, I, I'd have to dig deep on Severson. How good defensively is he? Is my question. Because what do we hear today? The orders need to improve defensively. Right, that's that's going to be the big one. Scott Mayfield's another guy. Um, is Scott Mayfield a top pair in defense with no chance? Second pair, eh, maybe. 
But he's a right dean. You've already got DeHarnay. So, you know, he doesn't bring you much offense. He's a penalty-killing guy. I don't know if you need two of them, to be honest. Right? Like, Edmonton would like to um, – if, if you're going to have DeHarnay and Bouchard, there's one offensive guy, one defensive guy. I think you want the other guy to be a little bit of a hybrid. Right? CeCe doesn't bring you a ton of offense. So, in, in an ideal world, you know, that that's something you could consider. But I'm not one here who thinks Cody Cece is a bad player. Right? Cody Cece last year was excellent. This year he battled through injuries. Wasn't great. You know, he struggled at times. I, I do wonder how much, you know, playing in the nagging injury impacted his season. Because last year I thought he was pretty solid. But ultimately, I, I don't think he's a top pair guy for you. Right? I, I think he could be a, he'd be an excellent third pair defense. I think he's like a number five, but so is Brett Kulak. And I think Kulak skating puts him ahead of CeCe in my opinion. So, let's see where it goes. Hey, guys, Mayfield averaged over 20 a night. Yes, I agree. But he's not an offensive defenseman. So, he's just like Cody Cece. Right? What's the difference? Is Mayfield that much better, do you believe? Because he, like, he might be slightly better than Cece, but he's not bringing you any more offense. And so if you have DeHarnay as your defensive-minded guy and Bouchard as your offensive-minded guy, don't your other right D to me, he needs to be one who can do both. Mayfield doesn't bring any offense. So I'm not I'm not sold that I really like Mayfield before they had DeHarnay. Right? But now, like, championship teams have diversity. They have different strengths. So if DeHarnay is your defensive right guy and Bouchard's your offensive right guy, I believe your other right guy's got to be somebody who does a little bit who does both well. He's he's good in both ends. I'm not saying Bouchard's bad in both ends, but you know what I mean? He's better offensively. DeArnay's better defensively. And CeCe's more of a defensive minded defenseman than an offensive minded guy. Quick break. Uh, let's get to the uh, con man and a sports center update brought to you by Lifestyle Sig, family owned business with four locations at Edmonton Shirt Park. They provide knowledge and sound advice on vaping hardware and e liquid. Learn more at lifestylesig.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 